You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Hello, welcome everybody to the Video Marketing Podcast. I am Matt Johnston. I'm excited today to talk about video. I always talk about video, but when I say I'm talking about video today, I mean I'm talking about video, like video, like shooting video, which is really, really fun. So, uh, what we want to talk about today, and I'm here with Dom O'Neill. Dom's going to join me. Dom has uh, Dom has a ton of experience. I'm going to let her finish. Okay. Dom, Dom has a ton of experience in the TV world. He worked at the BBC for nearly 12 years, and his goal now is really to bring all of what he's learned and his uh, and 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 about being a videographer and 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 using these video skills to small and medium-sized businesses all over the world to help us figure out how we can shoot high quality video without dropping high quality dollars which i think is something that we would all like to figure out how to do more of um and dom thank you so much for being here Hey man, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, I always like to talk about tech. So my background, there's lots of different people who deal with videos, there's a lot of people who deal with kind of social media and talk about maybe uh, the distribution side of things. And very much my passion is filming uh, and editing, that kind of side of things. And you know, you can literally drop thousands of pounds on equipment. You can literally drop, you know, you can literally fill the back of a van with equipment uh, which you can use for filming. And I know many guys who do that, but you don't have to. And that really is the key. You know, you can get some key pieces of kits and key elements uh, of, of kits, cameras, tripods, lights, microphones. You can literally have all you need, which can fit in a handbag or a small backpack. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. I can't wait to dive into this stuff a little bit. And obviously you are across the pond. You're in Edinburgh right now. Yeah, so I, I live in Scotland, so I've just literally just hopped off the train from Edinburgh uh, to do this podcast. <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time. And so, so, so let's jump into it. First, first, I'd just like to know a little bit more about how you got into the video world and what it was like at BBC, what you learned, and, and just sort of how you got into this stuff in the first place. What, what drew you to video? So, um, I did a, uh, an undergrad degree in film production, I've done a master's degree in radio production, uh, and I, I've always liked creating content. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into radio or into telly, so I kind of dabbled in both. Uh, and the beauty of working somewhere, a massive corporation like the BBC, is that you get a lot of choice. If you're working for some of the independent broadcasters and some of the independent production companies, uh, you kind of get stuck either just doing sport or just doing drama or just doing documentaries or just doing art film. Uh, the, the beauty of working for a major broadcaster like the BBC is one week you can be working on a major studio comedy and then the next week you'll be working on some arty documentary. And then the week after that, you're covering the FA Cup final in the football and what have you. So the beauty of working for a huge broadcaster is the amount of different work that you're able to do is huge. Um, and so that was, that was a massive uh, learning curve for me, learning the process of film. So filming is, there's lots of people who are like, all oh, right, I'll just pick up a camera and I'll just film it. 
and that's that's fair enough but actually there's a process behind filming and i was always kind of taught that filming is very much like baking a cake so the first part of your baking a cake is you need to write your shopping list okay and it's exactly the same with film you need to know what it is you want to film what kind of shots you want what kind of questions you want do you want uh, what is the content so you write your list uh, the next part of your baking a cake is going to the supermarket to buy the ingredients and the filming process is that part of the process so you're going to somewhere to get the ingredients i.e you're you're going to get your interviews you're going to get your cutaway material you're going to maybe get your music that kind of stuff uh, and then the third part of the process of the baking process is actually baking the cake and in the filmic world, that relates to editing and post-production. And so you, in editing and post-production, you get all the raw ingredients, all the raw video, uh, all the raw footage, and you put it together to create a finished product. And then the fourth part is distribution. So in the baking world, if you bake a cake and it's sat in a kitchen and there's no one in the kitchen, that, video, that cake sorry, is pointless. And it's exactly the same with video. If you've made a beautiful video, and it's sat on a platform and no one's watching it, then actually that video is wasted. So if you get what I'm saying that, you know, I learned early on that uh, video and successful video creation is part of that process. It's the pre-production, knowing what you want to film, production, getting the right stuff filmed. The third part is editing, getting those raw ingredients and editing them down to really what it is you want to say, and then obviously distribution. I mean, the beauty of working for a major broadcaster like the BBC is they have huge channels with huge audiences. Um, and so it, it, my challenge now is to work with people who aren't major broadcasters and help them get out to the right audience. They don't necessarily need to be huge audiences, but they do need to be the right audience. Mm, yeah, that's really helpful. I often say the same thing when I'm talking about the importance of headlines and framing. If you make a perfect, amazing piece of video and nobody watches it, does the video really exist? <laughs> I argue no. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, fu I fully agree with that. Yeah, so, so let's jump in a little bit about how you can apply this baking process on a budget. I, I think that most people are shooting with their phones and I think that's fine. I actually shoot most of what I do on my phone and I shoot it in 4K at 24 FPS, and it looks freaking incredible on my iPhone X. And I'm going to be uh, upgrading probably soon to the other one. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so, you know, and, and I've thought about getting a DSLR or a mirror, and, and, and we will soon. I mean, I mean, we have one for the company, but, but, but for my own purposes, because I make a lot of content, for my own purposes, I've thought about it, but then at the end of the day, I just come back to, man, my phone can make some great video these days. So why don't we just start this way? And, and, and I, I assume you agree with that, that these phones make incredible video. And, and, and if so, what is the pro like, how would that process be adapted in a way that's resourceful? We, we've already got this in our pocket. We wanna make stuff that looks great and makes a high impact from a content standpoint. So let's just start with step one here. You're going to make a video. First thing that you have to do is sort of think about the platform and audience, right? Yep, absolutely. Platform audience is, is massive. And you've got to think about what equipment are you filming with and what, what kind of video is it? So if it's a spur of the moment video, filming on the iPhone makes perfect sense because I know so many people who have said to me, oh, Dom, I'm going to start filming. I bought a DSLR camera, I bought this, that, and the other. 
And a few months down the line, I meet up with them and go, so what's happened? What have you been filming? And they're like, oh, keep on forgetting to bring the camera. And it's like, guys, come on. So the basic is to start the filming process, you need to be filming and you need to be filming regularly. And if you don't have your DSLR camera round with you, if you don't use it regularly, there's a good chance you're not going to remember it. The smartphones these days, like you say, have fantastic cameras, there's good processing. There is relatively good editing for basic edits and there's apps out there which will help you do subtitlings and put titles on and stuff like that. So definitely a smartphone is, is a very sensible place to start. I mean, I know lots of people who like going down the live route. I think the live route is a bit gimmicky from time to time, but I know lots of people like it. And again, the smartphone is perfect for uh, the live audience. Um, even non-live, you know, I, I create quite a lot of videos on my smartphone just because it is, like you say, a good device which, which pumps out good quality uh, video. I have to say um, audio on smartphones, even on DSLR cameras, the, the built-in microphone on a DSLR camera or a smartphone is not perfect. What you're looking for is to get the microphone much closer to your mouth. It doesn't really matter what platform you're on, having good audio makes a huge difference. Now, I know the facts are that you know, lots of people up to like 70% will not be listening. But you know, if you start to get fans, if you start to get a good following, they may well actually be listening to your words and nothing puts people off a video more than bad sound. And so having a good microphone which plugs into your phone, which you take with you all the time, uh, is a huge deal. So I have uh, a lapel microphone, which is it's also called a tight-lip microphone. It's from Rode. And it literally attaches to the top of my shirt and plugs into my camera. It produces a good quality of sound. It's nice and light, so I always have it with me. It just fits in the pocket of my jacket. And it means that if I want to record a video, if I come up with a great idea, I want to record it there and then on a specific location, I literally have it and I can plug it in and I can start filming. It really is that simple. Uh, also, like something like a selfie stick or a mini tripod. You know, you don't always want to have, you know, shaky videos. Again, it doesn't really matter what platform you're on or what audience you want. A shaky video can look a little bit half-baked, a little bit amateur. And so something like a selfie stick or a mini tripod, which again, can fit in your backpack, can make your videos look that bit more, um, more better quality, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can just give some recommendations from what I use here too. Um, so uh, I, I, as I said, I film most of my stuff on my phone. Um, and just so everybody knows the difference between 24 FPS and 29.97 FPS, and uh, this may sound like whatever to some of you, but it is really important. And once I tell you the difference, you will understand it. And Dom can probably speak to it better than I can. But when you see videos and you say to yourself, oh, this has a very cinematic type look, it's, there's a good chance that it was shot in 23.97 or, or, or 24. It's often uh, called on the phone and, and other places. And so when you shoot in 23.97, it just has a more cinematic look. And that tends to be what people are expecting on YouTube. Not necessarily as much on social channels, but I will say that I always shoot in 23.97 because I just feel like it gives it, a, it's a little bit more polish 
with no extra work. It's literally a setting and uh, it just looks a little bit more professional and filmic. And I could not agree with you anymore, Dom. Oh my gosh. And I cannot, because we, we do a lot of YouTube advertising in the agency. And so very often we will have clients shooting their own stuff. And I'll even tell them that they need to use a lapel mic and they won't do it. And it drives me insane that they feel like the, that a mic will just happen. Maybe it's because this is the culture we're in now. We just expect these microphones to be everywhere and be fine, but that is not the case. <laughs> I am the same. I have a, a, a and, and listen, I spent $10 on this lapel mic one and a half years ago on Amazon and it sounds incredible. It does. And uh, I always have it with me in my backpack. In fact, I just shot a bunch of YouTube videos with it. Slap that sucker on to the iPhone and it sounds great and it sounds much more professional. So I would definitely recommend those same things. I definitely echo that. Dom, do you have any more, uh, any more to, 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 uh, to expand on with the, with the iPhone settings and the, the frame rate and stuff like that? Just so that you know, like that 23.97 is what you see often when you're seeing movies and TV shows. But if you're watching the news or when you see people posting regular old selfie videos on Facebook or something, that's 29.97. That's sort of a way, it's like reality TV style, whereas there's the filmic style. Yeah, in the UK, we've got a slightly different frame ratio. We do like 25 frames per second compared to 24 in telly, but um, in film, it's still the same. It's 30 frames per second. Uh, what you need to do, the rule, even for smartphones, the rule when I started and we were filming on 16 millimeter film, is exactly the same rule as today. When you record your raw material, you do it in the best possible rate. So if it's 4K or 1080 H HD or 720, whatever you could, is the top rate which you can record and edit in, that is what you should be creating your videos in. The problem is if you create videos on a, you know, a, a low quality, you can't then upscale the quality. The beauty of filming on high quality is you can then downscale if that makes sense. I know loads of people who come to me with videos and like, Don, this looks scratchy. It just looks rubbish. Can you fix it? And it's like, well, yeah, you recorded it at a really low rate. And they're like, oh, no, you can probably put that into an edit and fix it. And it's like, well, no, well, there is little bits and bobs you can do. But if, if you've recorded it in a lower rate, it will always be lower. All you're doing is amplifying the, the lower rate and you can get kind of picture noise and discoloration and that kind of stuff. So the, the number one rule back in the day, 15 years ago when I started, is the same. Record in the highest possible quality because at some point someone will downgrade it later. So when you upgrade, well, sorry, when you upload it to LinkedIn, when you upload it to Facebook, there's a good chance they will downgrade it anyway. So you want to be, at least on your end, providing the highest possible quality, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, and I use it as another hack. And, and, and after this, we'll get back to well, how we want to start planning these shoots a little bit more, even on our phones. Uh, but just to mention it, I always shoot in 4K, not just to have the highest possible quality, because on Facebook, the best you can do is 720p as far as an output goes. That being said, very often, I mean, I've only got one camera here. But on YouTube, you will often find out that having a lot of quick cuts and, and changing cameras a lot can be quite useful to, to boost engagement. So I shoot everything in 4K so I can punch in 
And I was doing that even when I was running big video teams. We would just run everything in 4K. And then we would just, it would just feel like we were everywhere. Like we had this huge, like we had eight cameras because we could punch in on 4K as much as we wanted and we wouldn't lose any picture quality. Uh, because obviously if you're 4K and you're punching into 1080p and you're only exporting in 720p or 1080p, it's still gonna look fantastic. So that's a little hack and it's a reason to always shoot in 4K. And it's another reason why if you have any interest in shooting video on your smartphone, when you buy it, just go for at least 256 gigabytes because I yes. just got off of a shoot um, where I did a bunch of, I shot eight YouTube videos and I just looked at it and it was about 50 gigs of footage that I've got. So it's a, it's a lot of stuff for sure. So, so, so let's go back to the planning process. So Dom, when you're, you said that the first thing is you need to, you need to uh, come up with your shopping list. So how do I start? So I've got this video idea and let's say that I've even scripted it and I've, 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 I've covered scripting in other episodes and we can get into that in other times, but I've got my script. And so we're just talking about production here. How do I go about first creating my production list? And this is just me. I'm just going to be, you know, just shooting a video on my phone, but I want to make it look good and I want to make it, you know, be a very good piece of content. What does that shopping list process look like? So you've kind of got to look into who your audience is. You need to really think about who your audience is. You kind of need to think about what their pain points are and how you can fix those pain points or how your knowledge can fix those pain points. Because really, and especially with an expert vlog video, you know, a piece to camera video, people are potentially watching it because they want an answer to something. Especially if you're on LinkedIn or somewhere like that and you're selling a service or you're an expert, you know, you're a coach or something like that. People are wanting to find out who you are as a human. And if they can trust you and they can like you and do business with you, but they also want to know that you have valuable knowledge. And the way to do that is to look into your audience, who your audience are, what their pain points are, and how you can fix them. And so look at your frequently asked questions. What are your customers constantly asking you? And frequently asked questions are really, really good ways to find out what your audience wants and create videos around those FAQs, around the answers to those FAQs. Uh, and so what I, I did when I first started that, I'd look through my FAQs and each FAQ which repeatedly got asked, um, that would be a subject title, that would, be, that, that would be a heading. And my rule is that video should be no longer than 40 seconds, they need a beginning, a middle and an end. So your beginning, you're wanting to turn your your audience from kind of passive into active. So asking some kind of question, making some kind of challenge is a good way to kind of start your script. You then go into the body of it where you have a very brief explanation of who you are and um, the answer to the question or the challenge you've posed. And then at the end, you need some kind of kind of call to action to get them engaging in the video. Uh, and so you need to kind of come up with a script for each of your headlines with a beginning, a middle, and an end and some kind of call to action. Obviously, if all your videos are, buy now, buy now, people are gonna go, no. And so you want to create some kind of conversation with your videos. So you kind of need to end your video with some kind of conversation. Ask your audience to get involved with this bit of content. Uh, and so that's kind of how your script should be looking. So a 40 second script, a 30 to 40 second script, we're talking no more than half a page maximum 
I've written words probably more like a quarter of a page of A4 maximum scriptage. And what about once we have this script, how do we start thinking about what we need to actually start shooting it? Do, should we, should we so, make a storyboard? Should we be planning out shots? Like how, how, and how much time and resources should we spend getting, that getting the shooting ready to go? Or should we just wing yeah. it? I mean, it depends on your style. It depends on your business. And so if you've got a very formal business with a very formal audience, you will need to think a lot more about how you set up your shot. So it will need to maybe look a bit more like a news style shot. While if you have a very kind of casual brand, uh, you might well get away with a selfie stick and winging it. But, you know, we don't have, a, especially for social media, we don't have a huge amount of time, if that makes sense. And the problem with winging it completely is that you will often run over or you'll not actually achieve what you had set out to achieve. Uh, the issue with over scripting things is A, it takes a lot of time. And if we're creating semi-disposable semi content here, which is going out on social media, we don't necessarily want to be giving hours and hours of time away for it. If it's a video that will sit on your website and last for two, three years, then that's a different kettle of fish. But if, if we're specifically talking about creating semi-disposable content, you're wanting it to be as efficient a process as possible. So realistically, what I don't, I don't create scripts, I create bullet points. And this is what I used to do when I was a radio presenter. Because in radio at the time, you know, around about 45 seconds was the key that most radio stations wanted you to hit. And so, again, they demanded a beginning, a middle, and an end, some kind of call to action at the end. Um, but um, they were very much, very much didn't want you to read from a script. Because often reading from a script can be quite dull, unless you're, you know, a well-trained newsreader who is extremely used to reading from scripts. Uh, you, you, can lose a lot, a lot, you can lose a lot of emotion in the script reading. So what we do is bullet points. So this is a, one line for pretty much what I want to get from the opener, one line for what I want to achieve in the middle, and one line for what I want to achieve at the end of the video. Uh, and maybe some buzzwords that I have to hit, some actual points I have, I have to hit. And I basically freestyle the rest of the script. So it isn't winged and it isn't fully scripted, but it is very much a guided video rather than um, scripted or winged, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. I teach public speaking and what we would call this in the academic public speaking world is extemporaneous. <laughs> so nice. it should, it should feel flat. It, it, it should feel planned, but certainly it, it, it shouldn't feel, it should feel, it should feel planned, but it should not feel scripted necessarily. Um, and the worst Perfect. thing you can do is read. And let me just, let me just, I, I just want to make a note about teleprompters um, because a lot of people are really big fans of teleprompters. Um, personally, I would recommend against a teleprompter all the time. Um, a lot of people say, oh, well, then I don't have to memorize it and I can just focus on the message. That never happens because what I have found, and I used to be in television as well, I produced TV news for two years, and the folks that were anchors for me when I was producing were experts <coughs> at reading teleprompters, mostly. <laughs> and uh, when you're just trying to read off of a teleprompter because you think it's the easier way out, it's not. You've, you're going to sound flat. You're going to sound like you're reading. I would just recommend, uh, Dom's, Dom's point is good about bullet points. If you can basically outline what you want to talk about, then you're in pretty good shape. 
One of the things that I also preach a lot, and I think that you would have some thoughts on as well is, and this is just because I have a, uh, you know, I, I have a video editing background myself is I know the value of understanding what the finished product and what the post-production uh, situa situation is going to be like. So I shoot accordingly because the worst thing that you can do is shoot without thinking about post-production and all of a sudden get into weird, funky editing situations where you're like, ugh, I don't even know if I can use this or we have to cut out this whole part because I didn't shoot it right. It's best to really have that in mind. How do you approach that? At the start, if you keep it simple, you then uh, get yourself out of a lot of trouble. Keep it simple and keep it clean. So that, that's what I was always taught. Um, I know lots of people you know, try to include music and videos and stuff like that, but the, the problem with you know, music in the back of the video and then you're editing it, you'll notice the music then starts to jump around. Um, and so it, the best thing to do is to keep it as simple, like an interview, for example, keep it as simple as possible. Uh, like you say, film in four, 4K on a wide shot um, and keep it nice and quiet background, no background noise. And then when you come to the edit, it's much more simple to then have your wide shot and then you can punch, punch into your, your, your closer shot and you've got cutaways. <coughs> what I like to use is also cutaways. So if I'm filming on a location or I'm interviewing someone in a particular location, I will get shots of that location. Um, and then if I have any issues with the edit and I need to cover a, a, a mistake or a cut, I can use cutaways um, to take the audience away from, you know, my face or the, or the interview uh, to, to cover any issues. So having something like cutaways in your back pocket is really useful. But a nice clean shot and a nice clean audio uh, will really get you out of a lot of trouble. But you do need to think about what the bigger picture is a thing which i used to train radio presenters back in the day uh, and the thing that happened a lot with radio presenters is they would get halfway through a link and then realize they had no idea where the end was or where they were going with that link uh, and again it's, it's it's knowing your beginning middle and end once once you've got that in your head it's so much easier then to know what shots you need what cutaways you need what titles you need Mm. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's really important to think about that before. And I, I would say it, it's important to keep it simple, but at the same time, you also want to shoot enough so that you have enough left on the cutting room floor at the same, at the same time. And if, if, if you're shooting a video, like let's say that there's a, a, a marketer listening to this. And I know we have a lot of marketers that listen to, to, to this podcast, if you're shooting a video where you're trying to showcase, let's say that you work for a dent, that you have a dental, a dental client, and you're trying to shoot something where you're showcasing this dentist um, and all of that amazing stuff, make sure that you're getting a, at least spend at least ten minutes just shooting some B-roll of him working, of him working with patients, of him just literally just signing papers on his desk. It's gonna be so useful to make the video flow in the way that you want it to flow. And it just takes a few extra minutes. So, so that's, a great, that's a great way to go. Uh, I say cutaways, but you say B-roll, don't you? I think it's there. Uh, it's oh yeah, there British we go. Thing, cutaways, cutaways versus B-roll. B-roll is exactly the same thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I feel I, I, I know that around about 70% of everything that I shoot does not make the final edit. Um, and, and that's, you know, 
what you really want when you get back is to have the choice of the best stuff, uh, choice of the best raw materials rather than going, oh, that's all I got. Oh, well done. Uh, so yeah, definitely overshooting and your B-rolls and cutaways are massive. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've got all of that stuff in place and, and you're shooting this. Let's talk a little bit about light. Do you have any general thoughts about lighting? So lighting is one of the really overlooked things. You know, lighting can make you look tired. Bad lighting specifically can make you look tired. It can make you look more angry. It can make you just look, look bad, you know? Um, and it's something that we don't do on a daily basis, you know, light ourselves. We kind of illuminate ourselves because we don't want to be in a dark room, but we don't specifically do it to look good. We don't specifically do it to convey any meaning. And so it's something that I know lots of people struggle with and don't bother with because they literally have no idea. Um, but literally what you are looking for when you are lighting yourself is a consistency of light on your face. Uh, what you want to do is try to avoid bags under the eyes, um, uh, try to avoid wrinkles. And so having a, a, a consistently illuminated face makes a big difference. So the easiest way to start with lighting is to film outdoors. Uh, often kind of midday sun can be a bit overwhelming. So kind of morning time and evening time is a good is a good time to film outside but as long as the you know the sun is out and cloudy days are good days to film outside because again it's consistent sunlight or consist consistent light is the key um you can get kits so you can get little lights which attach onto the top of your smartphone especially if you're on a tripod or on a selfie stick you can attach little uh, battery powered lights onto your phone um, but just making sure you have a consistent wash of light on your face is the key. Yeah, I, I try to film a lot of stuff outside for this reason. Natural light tends to be the best light. Um, today's shoot, for example, we did half of it outside because uh, it's a beautiful day. Um, but as far as where that sun is, put the sun in front of you, right? Because you want the sun on your face, not backlit right yeah if you're backlit then you become a silhouette which is never good and don't film in front of a window on a sunny day because again the massive the light is behind you not in front of you you always want to be lit from above and from the front yep it's a, it's, it's 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 a simple thing but i i know a lot of people sort of needed to hear that so <laughs> i think i i wanted to get that out I, I would also say one of the things that i do and I, I i happen to be home today i'm not in my office but when i'm in my office uh i have a ring light that i have and i i have a webcam i have a nicer webcam that i usually use um that's hd and i have a ring light that has a flexible arm and i sort of uh, ring lights are really popular right now. You'll see, you'll see all of these like you know Instagrammers heralding I, them. To I have one at home. They're really good, really nice quality of light, and you you kind of guarantee because the camera sits in the middle, you're kind of guaranteed a consistent wash of light across your face. Yeah, right, right. I I think that's why they're so popular is because they have that consistency. Yeah. So, so definitely investing in something like that is good. I mean, I, I think my ring light was $20 on Amazon. I just have it set up at home uh, because I do a lot of stuff like this. It's funny to be talking about this when I'm not, the only time I'm not using it. 
<laughs> but uh, I, I do a lot of stuff like this where I'm using webcam and I have a nice webcam in my office. And so I was like, listen, I'll just get a ring light. I mean, it's going to make all the difference in the world. I'm going to look so much more professional in general and people will actually be able to see me. And honestly, they're, the, the, the human to human connection does improve when you just, you just look, it, it, just, it just does. It just does because it's not as distracting. You look the way you're supposed to look. Yeah, also Hollywood has taught us that the bad guys hang out in the shadows. You watch any Hollywood film. Ah, interesting uh, point, yeah. Shadowy characters are the bad characters. And so you don't necessarily want to be hanging out in the shadows in your own video. <laughs> here I am. You know what? I need to just like turn towards my window. Clearly have a window <laughs> over here. I should have positioned it. I should have positioned. Ah, look at there. There we go. See? There's me with the window and there's me to the side of the window. It makes all the difference yeah. in the world. <laughs> consistency of light consistency yeah. that's there what you I go. it's taught. very important and a lot of people don't think about that if you are going to shoot indoors you got to be careful of that soft white light because you'll just look very yellow so that's why these ring lights have that white fluorescent light and that's the best light to give you that consistent look that's why they're called daylight lights when you buy them in the store like if you're going to buy bulbs they're called daylight they're like the white lights they're terrible yeah. If you buy them to like light your home, they're abrasive and terrible. You only would use them in your garage. But for lighting your face, that's what you would want to use. But if you're just relying on the soft white lights, which are just a yellow light, then you're going to look yellow. So I, I definitely yeah. would not recommend if you're going to shoot indoors doing something like that. Get a ring light. Or even if you are going to use one of those white light bulbs at some point, it would be at least better because it wouldn't make you look, it, it, because it, it's almost like putting an Instagram filter on you, like a bad Instagram filter on you. So I would yeah. not do that. <laughs> you've, always, you've got to remember that actually cameras and the human eye seem, see things extremely differently. So the human eye and the human brain mm. are amazing at filling in the gaps. So I'm sat in a light room, but actually I'm looking outside and it's quite dark, but my eye can see the difference and it can fill in the gaps. If I was to shine my camera lens out there, if I was looking out there through the camera, the camera would not be able to fill in those gaps anywhere near as well as the, uh, as the, human, the human eye. And so you've got to remember that you are lighting for the camera, not necessarily for the human eye. This is such a great point. Um, this, this is great. I, I think we've mostly covered what we need. There's two things I want to bring up. One thing that I, that I want to bring up, and I want to know what your thought is on this. I personally use an app. I don't think you need to. One of the reasons why I use a third-party app to shoot in is because I get more control. Um, I actually don't really get into like the ISO and white balance and all that stuff. I don't, but I could on the app. Um, but one of the reasons that I do it is because it allows me to know that I'm getting the mic the, that I'm using my lapel microphone and not the onboard microphone. Yep. It's important to me. And I don't know that there's a way that I can, I haven't figured out how to do that on iPhone. I'm not sure which audio it's taking. No, you it can't. worries That's, me. Yeah. I feel yeah, so, so I use pro movie, another one that a lot, and that's like four bucks or three bucks. A lot of people love, filmific and i'm it's like 15 dollars. i am thinking about buying that because you can shoot in what we call flat which allows you to shoot in a way that i actually don't know the insides and outsides of it but all i know is when 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 my best video people have shot in flat before and then they've applied a color palette to it in adobe premiere afterwards it looks better that being said 
I would just say I, I do recommend Pro Movie for three bucks just because you do get more control and you know more where your audio is coming from and everything than using the onboard. If you're using the onboard video on your phone, you should just know, because I've talked to a couple of people recently that didn't know, if you want to shoot in 4K or 23.97 FPS, you just need to go in your camera settings and your preferences on your iPhone and set it to that. I do also think sometimes you can tap it up there, uh, but a lot of people don't know that they have that functionality. And if you have like an iPhone 11, for example, you can shoot in 4K on your selfie camera as well and in 20, 23.97 frames per second. So you might as well do that. That's one of the main reasons why I'm looking at upgrading is because the selfie camera, because then I can actually see what I look like instead of turning it around, is 4K and it's in 24. So I know that I can get really high quality video from the selfie camera. It's one of the reasons I wanna upgrade um, along with many. It's mostly for the camera, right? Um, so, uh, I, it's just, it's just important to note that. Do, do you, do you use any apps or is there anything like that you use or you mostly use the onboard? I don't currently, I, I do most of my changing about in post-production. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I am tempted, uh, by, by using apps. I, I, I do find it annoying that you don't get your sound levels in the onboard iOS. Uh, but I always prefer to get as just as basic and as, as simple an image as possible in raw. And then I can make my changes in post-production. That's always how I've been taught in the past. However, I am up for giving apps a try and, you know, and seeing uh, how things go. But I was always taught just get as raw an image, as good, as simple, as crisp, as clean an image and sound as possible in production. And then you can always do other things in post especially if you are new, especially if you're not as maybe as confident filming, keeping it as simple as possible and then doing the more complex stuff in post-production when you're back in the office is often a nice way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I started using the Pro Movie app because I wanted more, I wanted to be able to more easily, uh, an iPhone generation ago, select the frame rate and resolution that I wanted the video shot in. And then I also got the head, I was able to more, to better look at audio. iPhones have evolved since then. So now it's all, you know, both cameras can shoot in 4K and 24. So I don't need an app to shoot in 24 now, but I do still need an app to get that lapel microphone the way that yeah. I want it. So that's why I, that's the only reason that I still use an app at this point. However, so some three dollars, like, it's a no brainer really. Yeah, it? it's, right. It's yeah, not yeah. expensive. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great app. The other thing I'll say, and we, we were talking about this before the show, I just bought myself an iPhone gimbal. And so if you don't know what a gimbal is, it's a stabilizer. And, uh, this allows you to do lots of moving shots in ways that, uh, appear extremely steady. I mean, it, it, it makes it look like they're any, any movement you do with the camera is intentional rather than getting bumped. <laughs> and uh, I just recently got that and um, I, my intern um, sort of follows me around and shoots me on these YouTube videos and she was using the gimbal and she loved it. And, you know, I was doing a lot of walking and talking and everything and she was able to get like really great shots. I was looking at it afterwards and I was never able to do something that looked that good. So if you're interested in that, um, usually in the sort of, I mean, I think mine was 90 bucks on Amazon or so. Just shoot me an email if you want me to send you the link. And um, it, it just it just really goes a long way to being able to make it look a little more professional. But again, I think that 
I've only recommended $93 worth of equipment here that you could shoot hundreds of, of, of videos on. So um, it's, well, it's well worth it. And, and I know you, you're, you're also a big fan of these gimbal devices. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, when you're starting out, you need to keep things as simple as possible and, if, yep. you know, your kit down. But once you get more confident, once you really know what you are filming, what your audience likes to see and what you like to film, something like a gimbal is the next step. So the, the, first, the first step is obviously camera, microphone, and some kind of stabilizing device, selfie stick or tripod. But next on the list has to then become lights and a gimbal. Uh, gimbal, uh, the quality you get for the price these days is insane. The, the quality of image, the, what you can ask the gimbal to do, you know, you can train some of these gimbals to recognize your face. And so as you walk around, it adjusts. So your face is always nice and central in, in the picture. And these days, they're so smooth. You know, back in the day, it would cost you thousands of pounds to hire a steady cam guy. But now you can have all that power <laughs> just underneath your phone, right? A handful, a hundred, so, uh, and you can get ones which run on a dry, a gyro, so you can run or jog while doing your videos and stuff. So the key though is is to get equipment you feel comfortable with. If you get a chance to try it in store, or you know hire it or try before you buy. I know loads of people who've gone out and bought gimbals, which are maybe uh, quite a few levels above their skill level at that time, uh, and it now sits on a shelf because they. It didn't work for the first time round. So it's it, like with any of this kit, it's worth getting, getting the entry level, absolutely mastering the entry level. And then when you step up to the next level, it's not a huge jump. The problem is if you jump to the master level kit and you aren't a master of it yet, um, it then kind of can be a little bit overwhelming, uh, it, especially if, you, if you're not technically minded. And I know there's loads of people who are good at, you know, SEO or marketing, what have you, who aren't necessarily technically minded. Um, kind of learning stages is how, how, I, how, how I was always taught. But once, once you start mastering each level, the step up to the next level isn't huge. And if you buy good quality equipment, the resale is actually very good. Uh, so if you, you, know, you, you buy the best of your level, you then want to resell it on to get the next level. As long as you've looked after it, the resale value of a lot of this equipment is quite good. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And, and, and I would agree, if there's one thing, I mean, d definitely keep it simple. And if there's one thing that you do just to improve it slightly, make it the audio. Uh, that's yes. the biggest problem that I see over and over again is hollow echo sounding stuff. And that will make your video seem, seem, seem very, very, uh, I don't know what the word is, I guess unprofessional. I mean, it's not that you need to be professional. It just, it just sounds lazy when you're not, when, when your audio is not crisp and I can't hear you very well. You know, it's like, oh, this, this person doesn't understand media. Like it has a weird psychological effect, at least on me. It's funny, the, I, I was always taught the eye is, is very forgiving, but the ear is not that I will, will forgive little bumps and cracks and crackles, mm. but the ear, the, ear won't, the ear will go, what's that? What's that? It's like, you know, if you ever watched a, a VHS from back in the day, it's got crumpled, you'll put up with the crumply picture, but not the sound. 
That's so interesting. I, I definitely think that that's true. And uh, it's, it's, it's well worth the investment to, to, get one of these, to get one of these cheap things. Thank you so much, Dom. I really appreciate it. Where can we find out more about you? So I have a Twitter um, handle. It's at Vlogify Studios. I'm also on LinkedIn. Check out Dom O'Neill. Uh, I'm known as the vlogging guy and uh, TV floor manager. And live event stage manager. I like to chat with people. So if you have any questions, if you've got any anything you want to share with me, um, get involved on social media. I also have the Vlogify Content Strategy Masterclass podcast. It's an audio podcast, which is on iTunes and Anchor and a lot of the uh, the podcasting platforms. Great, yeah, definitely check that out. Dom had me on a guest um, a couple of days ago. It was, it was really nice to be there. Dom, thank you so much for joining us and thank you everybody for being here. If you got value today, and I really hope you did, uh, please, please leave us a review. I'm told that that helps. <laughs> and uh, shoot me an email if you need anything at all. Um, have a wonderful week. I will see you again this coming Friday or next Friday um, and have an amazing day. Thank you.